If you'd open your Bibles to Nahum chapter 2, please. Nahum chapter 2. As I read the first seven verses tonight, we're going to include the last verse again of chapter 1 because in the Hebrew Bible, verse 15 of chapter 1 actually goes with chapter 2. So we'll start with verse 15 and then read down through verse 7 of chapter 2. Behold on the mountains the feet of him who brings good news, who announces peace. Celebrate your feast, O Judah. Pay your vows. For never again will the wicked one pass through you. He is cut off completely. The one who scatters has come up against you. Man the fortress. Watch the road. Strengthen your back. Summon all your strength. For the Lord will restore... The splendor of Jacob, like the splendor of Israel, even though devastators have devastated them and destroyed their vine branches. The shields of his mighty men are colored red. Now, this is a remarkable prediction. The shields of his mighty men are colored red. The warriors are dressed in scarlet. The chariots are enveloped in flashing steel when he is prepared to march, and the cypress spears are brandished. The chariots race madly in the streets. They rush wildly in the squares. Their appearance is like torches. They dash to and fro like lightning flashes. He remembers his nobles. They stumble in their march. They hurry to her wall, and the mantelet is set up. The gates of the rivers are opened, and the palace is dissolved. It is fixed. She is stripped, she is carried away, and her handmaids are moaning like the sound of doves beating on their breasts. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the word of God, and we thank you that you have given us these books of the Bible. You have preserved them in manuscript form, and we're able to have great translations in the English language so we can actually know we're studying your precious inspired word. We pray that as we do that tonight with this passage, that you have permitted to exist, that you would allow the Spirit of God to use it in ways that will accomplish what he needs to accomplish. And we will thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, when you read the prophetic books of the Bible, and Nahum is a minor prophet, it's a prophetic book, it's not in the Bible just to give lessons on history. These are inspired books of God. They're profitable. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable and given for our instruction. And I like something H.A. Ironside said many years ago, all prophecy must be read with the understanding that the Lord is going to come again and the Lord is going to do amazing things for Israel. Now when you come to Nahum 2, I want to observe a couple of things before we begin. First of all, Nahum actually saw this stuff. You remember in the first verse of the book, the Oracle of Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum, vision of Nahum. Nahum actually saw the things that he is describing, and that is the only explanation. I mean the only explanation for a remarkable prediction he's going to make in this chapter, including the very color of the clothing the enemy was going to wear. Secondly, in the Hebrew Bible, as we mentioned in our scripture reading tonight, the last verse of chapter 1 is the first verse of chapter 2. So what that means is Nahum wanted God's people to know someone is eventually going to come along who's going to bring peace to Israel, peace to Judah. 
Someone is going to eventually come along that will enable her to restore her worship at a complete level of righteousness to Israel and the world. There will never again be a wicked person or wicked power that will pass through that land. Now, even though the times weren't looking too good for that to happen for God's people when they predicted this, he wanted them to know that God would take care of all their enemies and raise them up to a wonderful state of glory and splendor. And that's a wonderful thing to know, because there are nations and there are political leaders who have gained their power, they have gained their authority by promoting wicked and evil things, they have come to power by oppressing people, and there have been powers that have come into existence who've done things against God and against God's people. They hate God. They hate God's word. They hate God's truth. They hate Israel. They hate Christians. And when you see a world that's operating like that, when you see a world that looks like that, you can begin to lose sight of the fact that, you know, God's still sovereign in this. I mean, he's still in control. Even we have these kinds of people in power. And what we're learning is one reason why God permits these kinds of people to be in power is so he can temporarily use them as some disciplinary tool against his people who've just wandered way off the path. Sometimes God's own people just lose sight of their wonderful relationship they need to have with the Lord. So sometimes God raises up some type of power temporarily that will allow his people to realize, man, we need to draw close to the Lord. That's where Israel should go right now, tonight. That's what Israel should do tonight. I mean, Israel, if they were thinking right, and what's happened over the weekend would be going to their God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and crying out to him to intervene and allow Jesus Christ to settle this and come back and rule right now. That's what Israel should be doing tonight, turning to the Lord. They're not doing that, and neither is the United States. So what Nahum does here is he tells the rest of the story as to what God is going to do to those powers and leaders who did those things against God and against his people. I mean, after God is done using them, God makes it very clear, I'm going to destroy them. Now, we know that this Arab group of terrorists known as Hamas attacked Israel 48 hours ago, and it looked like they had a real victory there because they killed many people and they wounded many more. God says, I want my people to know, I want Israel to know, I'll track every one of them down. That's what Nahum teaches. And God sovereignly permits godless powers to exist for a short time, but they'll reach a level when he says, all right, that's enough, and then he moves against them. So when you come to this text of scripture tonight, what we learn is after God is done using wicked political leaders and powers who have been against him and his own people, he will target them, he will attack them, he will destroy them. Now that basically is the theme of the whole book of Nahum. I mean, in chapter one, God informed his people, he sovereignly determined Nineveh would be destroyed. In chapter two, God gives the people sovereign descriptions of the destruction. And in chapter three, God gives his people his sovereign defense for Nineveh's destruction. And quite honestly, I would not want to be any person in power, and I mean this, I would not want to be any person in power if I did not fear the God of the Bible. 
Because I'd have to wonder, why am I in power? I would not want to be president. I would not want to be vice president, senator, a congressman, a governor, a mayor, an attorney general. I would not want to be over anyone if I didn't care about God and his word. And here's why. God makes it very clear that he is the one who has sovereignly permitted them to be in power, not because they love him. And not because they love his word, but because he's using them for his sovereign purposes that many times are mysterious. And this book of Nahum says God puts these people in power who don't love him for a while. He puts these people in power who don't love his word, care about his word. He knows each and every one of them. He knows what they're like. He knows what they even wear. And once he's accomplished using them for what he wants to do with them, he'll target them attack them, and destroy them. Now, Nineveh was the capital city of the Assyrian Empire. They dominated the world for over a hundred years. Assyria waged war against the world. And their political leaders were, I mean, they were the powerful leaders of the world. They were the big names of political leadership for a hundred years. You had Tiglath-Pilatser and Shalmanser and Sargon and Sennacherib and you had... As Hardan and you had Ashurbanipal. I mean, those were Assyrian political leaders that dominated the world for a hundred years. And God permitted every one of them to be in power. He allowed them to do negative things for a time against his own people. He allowed them to do things that were unexplainable. And then along comes Nahum. And Nahum says, your time's up. God's done letting you be in power. He's done fooling around with you. So in 612 B.C., God brought the Medes and the Babylonians. They kind of hooked up together, and he brought them right there and destroyed them. Now, the book of Nahum is a warning book to all those whom God permits to be in power that don't care about him and his word. Because this book says, I permit people to be in power, and I even permit them to make negative judgments about me and my people. But once I've accomplished what I'm accomplishing by doing that, I'll track you down. Now, you want to make a positive difference for the Lord. I mean, you want God to use you. You want God to put you in a position where you can be positively used by the Lord. But you don't want to be in a position where you're being negatively used. Because God says, I'll come after you. I'll come after you as an individual. In 1963, Madeline Murray O'Hare went to the Supreme Court and got Bible reading and prayer taken right out of schools. I'm convinced that God permitted that to show the United States of America just how depraved this nation had become. This nation that one time was founded upon principles that honored the Lord, when someone walked into a court and said, we want to take the word of God and prayer out of schools, they should have thrown that person right out of court, in fact, thrown them into jail. God had blessed this nation beyond measure. God was honored in this nation. He was honored in the schools. Children were taught to honor the Lord in school. Until 1963. Then the highest court of the land took him out of schools. 
And the person that God raised up to do that was Madeline Murray O'Hare. I'm convinced he let her rise to that peak of prominence, and he used her in the court system to show just how depraved this nation had become. But then he was done using her. So on August 27, 1995, 32 years later, Madeline, her son John, and granddaughter Robin were kidnapped by David Waters, Daniel Fry, and Gary Carr. They were taken to a motel, strangled, bodies were cut up. They were murdered and taken to a desert area in Texas and buried. When years later, the guys were caught who did it, and the bodies were discovered, every body had been mutilated with their legs removed. All of the bodies had been burned. John's body still had his arms tied in a plastic bag over his head, and his skull was crushed. So you look at that and you say, well, what did God do there? Well, he raised up a person and used them in a real negative way to make a statement as to the direction of this nation. He used her. Once he was done using her for his purposes, boy, she was destroyed. That's the book of Nahum. And Nahum is writing against one more powerful than Madeline Murray O'Hare. I mean, he's talking about the whole city of Nineveh. And there are some key observations we want to make about what God's going to do to those who have their power and use it against God. The first observation is God will specifically send an attacker against Nineveh. That's what verse 1 says. The one who scatters has come up against you. Man the fortress, watch the road, strengthen your back, summon all your strength. What God says in this verse is I'm going to specifically send a specific person and a specific power to come against you to shatter you. The word scatter is a word that not only means scatter, also shatter. It was a term that was used by the prophets to describe devastating judgment. So God is talking here about devastating judgment. Nahum says, I'm going to target Nineveh, I'm going to target the Assyrians, and I'm going to destroy them. He's giving a very specific, very individual, very pointed statement of what he's going to do. This is not some abstract prophecy. God says to the leader, you're going to see it coming. You're going to see it coming. Go ahead and man the fortress. Go ahead and try to watch the road. Do what you think you can to strengthen your back. In fact, he says, you go ahead and try to defend yourself any way you want. Work out so that you can summon all your strength. Get yourself in physical condition. Put people at key areas. Watch the roads. But you're not going to stop what I'm going to do to you. And in 614 B.C., Cyaxerxes, king of the Medes, came up against Nineveh, conquered the whole suburbial areas of Nineveh. In 612 B.C., the Babylonians and Medes merged together to attack Nineveh, and they destroyed it. All the Assyrians could do was watch it happen. They couldn't stop it. See, ladies and gentlemen, this is the thing we need to know about the sovereignty of God. God doesn't need us to carry out toppling and destroying corrupt powers. He has his own mysterious ways. What we can do if we're God's people and what we should do is just snuggle up next to him. 
Turn to him as our refuge. Stay very carefully understanding and applying the scriptures. That's our responsibility. He can do the work by himself. No matter how strong the power may seem to be, he has his ways of taking it out. And when, as God's people, we see godless, ruthless leaders in power over us, just stay faithful to the Lord. You stay focused on staying faithful to the Lord. Watch what he'll do. We need to be the faithful remnant that stays focused on God and his word through good times and bad times. And as we do that, and as we watch and wait, we will see God target those who are godless and wicked. He'll track them down. He'll destroy them. They may have their shining moment in the sun, but then the lights will go out. The second observation, though, is, and he always interjects this, God will specifically restore his people to a splendor level. He says in verse 2, For the Lord will restore the splendor of Jacob like the splendor of Israel, even though devastators have devastated them and destroyed their vine branches. This is an amazing prediction. It's an amazing prediction, including tonight. Because the promise of the word of God here is there's coming a day when I'm going to restore Israel at a splendor level. A splendor level, like back in the days when Moses was with the people of Israel and they stood out as the nation of God. And it's interesting that all throughout this book, God, in the middle of describing judgment that he's going to bring against Nineveh and judgment that he's going to bring against those who are his enemies, he always has good words for his people. And the truth is, when Israel was being dominated by the Assyrians, they were anything but a nation of splendor. They looked like a run-down, beaten-up, bruised, battered group of people just trying to survive life. And Nahum makes this remarkable prediction and promise to God's people here. No matter who's in power, no matter what the power is, God says to his people, I want you to know, I'm watching you, I'm monitoring you, I will be there for you and I'll restore you. And these Assyrians were hurting God's people economically, they were hurting them politically, they were hurting them militarily. There was no way they could stand up against this corrupt world power and expect to win. So God says to his people, you leave that to me. You stay focused on me and watch what I'll do. In fact, he said, I'll actually restore you to a splendor level. And the way to understand splendor is to understand the glorious, majestic splendor that God will make of his people. And this is for Israel. And it also includes us. God says, I am tracking down and destroying evil leaders and powers, and when I'm doing that, I'll also prosper my faithful people. And I want you to notice the two proper nouns he uses in verse 2 to describe Israel. He calls her Jacob, and he also calls her Israel. That refers to the entire nation as a whole, the north and the south. They were a divided nation, Israel to the north, and Judah to the south, and Jacob to the south. And these two images are often used by God to describe the fact that the whole nation will one day be back together. The whole nation will be flourishing in the land. That's exactly what's predicted here. He's saying, even though I have permitted my people to go through some devastating things, I'll raise them up again and I'll bring them to a splendor level. Boy, it hasn't happened yet tonight. Israel's under attack again. I mean, when you look at Israel, you don't go, wow, there's the splendor of God on that nation. You don't look at Israel and say, those people are a majestic display of the power of Almighty God. God says, but I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. 
And he will prove that he's a God who literally fulfills what he's going to do when we see the next point. So as God is in the process of bringing destruction on those against him and his people, he's also in the process of taking care of those who are faithful to him. In fact, sometimes people who've been faithful to him can end up restored and exalted even in their own individual lives. Now, the complete fulfillment of what is predicted here will occur in the millennium, after the tribulation, when the Lord Jesus Christ comes back at the second coming, when he puts his feet on the ground on earth a second time and establishes his kingdom. Jesus Christ will come back, and he will come back in all of his glory, and he'll bring the splendor and glory back to the nation Israel. But there's a good lesson for us to learn, and that is when we are going through difficult times and we see people who are over us who are godless people, they don't care about the word of God at all, they're making decisions that are foolish and evil, things that God calls abominations, and they're making decisions that are trying to promote that agenda, you just stay close to the Lord. You stay faithful to the Lord, because he'll take care of you. You have his word on that. Now the third observation is he will bring a thorough, specific judgment against Nineveh, verses 3 and 4. The shields of his mighty men are colored red. The warriors are dressed in scarlet. The chariots are enveloped in flashing steel when he is prepared to march, and the cypress spears are brandished. Now Nahum remarkably and specifically predicts the exact data concerning The judgment God was going to bring against Nineveh, it's very precise, scary and ferocious. Nahum actually saw this. He saw this judgment. He describes it with intricate detail, and he describes what God was going to do to Nineveh and to those leaders who were responsible for the wicked things that were happening. And Nahum is making these predictions in about 650 to 645 B.C., And the fulfillment of it wouldn't come until 612 B.C., so I want you to understand this. This is a prediction that Nahum is making some 37, 38 years before it would be fulfilled. Understand that. Because I want you to see the precision of the fulfillment of it. There are four amazing predictions that are made here. The first one is the intimidating dressed soldiers will come to destroy you. He says in verse 3, the shields of the mighty men are colored red and the warriors are dressed in scarlet. It's very clear from this prediction, again, 38 years before it happens. It's very clear that God is sovereignly controlling who he's going to use. He knows who he's going to use. He knows what they're going to wear. You talk about sovereign foreknowledge, here it is in living color, literally color. He's predicting this about 38 years before it's going to happen. He said, the shields of the people that I'm going to bring against you, of the warriors, they're going to be shields that are red. And the clothes they'll be wearing when they come against you will be scarlet. Now what is amazing is according to Xenophon, who is a historian, is that this is exactly the color code of the Median army. They carried red-dyed leather shields, and they wore scarlet uniforms. In fact, if you see pictures of the Median army, you'll notice they have those scarlet uniforms on. 
And by referring to the fact that they're both red, there's a red and a scarlet there, they're basically saying, these guys are coming, they're going to slaughter you. This is what they're going to be wearing. They're going to have red shields, scarlet clothes, and they're going to come slaughter you. Now, ladies and gentlemen, this is something that is so important to glean from this remarkable prediction that is being made here. Biblical prophecy is always, always fulfilled literally. Never forget that. Biblical prophecy is always fulfilled literally. If God says, I'm going to give Israel a land, and he lays out the dimensions of that land, like he does multiple times in the Old Testament, starting in the book of Genesis. And he says, here's the land boundaries. And then we look at history and we say, well, she's never had that much land. We would say, okay, but at some point she's going to have it. Why? Prophecy is always fulfilled literally. God isn't putting those boundaries in the word of God just for the fun of it. He's giving specific detail as to one day the land that she's going to have. Biblical prophecy is always fulfilled literally. He is predicting this just 38 years before it happens. This is what these guys will be carrying, and this is what clothes they'll be wearing. Secondly, the intimidating armed soldiers will come to destroy you. He talks about the fact that their chariots will be enveloped in flashing steel when he is prepared to march, and cypress spears are brandished. The chariots race madly in the streets. They rush wildly in the squares. Their appearance is like torches. They dash to and fro like lightning flashes. Now he makes a description here of chariots. The people he's talking to about this, they've never seen anything like this. They didn't know what he's talking about other than he's saying, I'm telling you, that's what's going to happen. He makes this prediction that these chariots are going to come in here. These warriors are coming in. They're going to be carrying these red shields and scarlet clothes. And they're going to be on these chariots that look, I mean, they're high tech for that time. These chariots look like flashing steel. That's the language here. It's like there's just a flashing steel going on with some kind of light show. And then he says, also, they're carrying these cypress spears that they're brandishing, that they're shining too, made out of cypress wood. Charles Feinberg, one of the better historians and Old Testament scholars, said the Assyrians would extend the blades out from the wheels of their chariot. They'd put blades on them. And when they would go forward, those blades would actually glisten in the sun. And so if you looked at this, I mean, you had these flashes, these chariots coming, and the light show is going on from the sun that's flashing on the blades that are on the wheels, and it would cut anything it hit to shreds. Nahum says the enemy will come fast and furious. They'll race through the streets. They'll attack with lightning speed. In fact, as H.A. Ironside said, it will be like a wild frenzy. And by the way, there have been those that have taken this verse here, verse 4, to say that this describes the existence of automobiles. And they have just butchered this. Some have said that this describes automobiles driving, causing traffic congestion, and they're just driving crazy in the streets. But as Dr. Feinberg said, such an interpretation is ridiculous and does more harm than good because that's not what's there at all. Fact is, those of us that have gone carefully through the prophetic books like 
Revelation, understand that during the tribulation, probably you're not going to be able to travel by an automobile. Because there's going to be such destruction caused by God on the earth that there won't be any good, clear roads for people to even travel on. The power will be wiped out. I mean, I don't care if you have a generator or not, your power is going to be gone. And the roads are going to be blasted to bits, so you're not going to be able to get fuel for whatever it is you're driving. And if you could get fuel, you aren't going to be able to drive down a straight road because what's described in the book of Revelation is that God is just hurling these things out of heaven, destroying the earth. So any kind of travel that's going to exist during the tribulation period is going to be very primitive. Mr. Miles used to say, I think probably during the tribulation period, it's going to be very primitive like you travel by foot or horse, like they had to back in biblical times, because the tribulation is just going to shut down the world. So he's predicting here, I'm sending someone to judge you they're going to have red spears, a scarlet uniform. They're going to be driving these high-tech chariots, and it's like lightning flashes because they're going to have this steel coming out of their wheels that's going to do that with the sun that's shining on those steel coming out of the wheels. These guys had never even heard of such a thing. And Nahum said, that's what God's going to do to you. The third prediction is the nobles are remembered. They don't escape. Now, the nobles, they're a piece of work. Look at verse 5. He remembers his nobles, get this, they stumble in their march. Well, of course, they're drunk. Yeah, that's right. Notice chapter 1, verse 10, like tangled thorns and like those who are drunken with their drink. Go over to chapter 3, verse 11. Chapter 3, verse 11, you too will become drunk. You'll be hidden. You too will search for a refuge from an enemy. So what you basically have here is you have people, when this judgment comes against Nineveh, they're going to look to their leaders for help. They're going to look to their nobles and their leaders to get some help, and they won't be able to help them. They'll be drunk. I mean, they'll just be a bunch of drunks stumbling. They're in no position to make decisions with their brains that's going to turn people in a right direction, they'll take the position, everybody, every man for himself. They'll try to find the best commandos. There won't be any to find. They'll try to look for the political leaders who are telling them what they should do. They won't be able to see that either. They'll just be stumbling around. I think it's a sad thing to see a leader stumble. Sad. I don't see anything funny with it. I know on a couple of occasions when our president has tripped, people really get a big laugh at that. I don't think that's funny. I think that's sad. At this point, any leader you look at is going to stumble. There's none of them there that's going to point people in the right ways of God. They think they can come up with a way of escape and they're all going to stumble. They'll cause people to stumble mentally, spiritually, physically. They themselves are going to stumble. These leaders are the same leaders who told the people, we've come up with a plan that you're in a right relationship with God. You never have to worry about God. And they are the ones that led the people astray. God says, those people aren't going to be able to lead you into a safe zone. They're not going to lead you in a safe relationship with me. So he says, you can do anything you want. You can man the roads, you can man the streets, you can turn to the leaders of your country. But when I decide I'm sending my judgment to destroy you, 
Whatever you do isn't going to work. And the fourth prediction is the gates of destruction are open and they're destroyed. Verse 6, the gates of the rivers are open and the palace is dissolved. He brings up the rivers again, which God used that Tigris River and the tributaries of the Tigris River to actually dissolve the gates and the walls, and eventually it was an easy city to conquer. God said, I'll just send rain. I'll send this army against you. They'll come, but I'll just make it easy for them because I'm going to raise the water levels and the rivers will just cause the gates to open. You're not going to be able to prevent them from coming in there. And that's exactly what God did. History records that. He permitted the water level to rise. It literally caused the bricks and the muds and the gates to be dissolved. And the palace, that was dissolved. See, God doesn't need our help in pouring out judgment. He doesn't. We need to stay focused on our relationship with him. Let him handle this stuff. This is big stuff here. And he's a big God, and he can handle it. But then he says in verse 7, I have fixed this judgment. Those are not words you want to see. It is fixed. She's stripped. She's carried away. Her handmaids are moaning like the sound of doves beating their breast. This judgment had been decreed by God. And here's what people don't realize. When God decrees something, it's done. We're talking about legal judicial decree at a divine God level. When God reaches a point where his anger has been triggered to the point where he says, all right, I'm going to act, and he makes a decree to act, He's not going to change his mind. He's not going to send angels out to destroy something and when they get halfway out the door say, I'm sorry, let me change my thinking. He's made a decree here. Now what God can do is he can come up with a new decree, but he can't change an old decree. So what he wanted Nineveh to understand, what Nahum was telling this city and the leaders of the city is, you need to understand this, what God has just predicted is going to happen to you is a fixed decree. It's set in stone. You're not going to change this one. It wouldn't matter if Jonah came in here now, like he did a hundred years before this was written, and preached to you and the whole city repented. It's too late for that. This is a fixed decree. He says the power is going to be stripped. You'll be stripped of your prominence and power, and boy was she. You couldn't even find where the city of Nineveh was located. The Assyrian power was gone, gone. Understand this. This power for a while dominated the world. It's gone. Secondly, the power would be carried away. You took people captive. You did hard things to people and horrible things to people. It's going to happen to you. It's your turn. God says, I'm going to carry you away. Thirdly, the power would end up moaning. And it would end up humiliated. So I come back to where we began tonight. If God permits a leader to be in power, no matter what the level of power, he better think, she better think very seriously about doing what is right before God. Because if he doesn't, God has them there in his sovereignty. He can target them. He can destroy them. If I were in some political leadership tonight in Washington, D.C., I would be saying, we need to stand with Israel right now. 
That's what God's word would say. He blesses those who bless her. He curses those who curse her. We need to stand with Israel right now. And God's made a decree. The decree that he's made is we're all sinners in Adam. We're all heading to condemnation because we've sinned. He can't reverse it. So he can't just have us get before him and say, ah, just forget about the decree I made that you're sinners. He can't do that. What he can do is issue a new decree. A new decree that can declare us righteous in Jesus Christ. He cannot reverse that either. So if you will believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be forever saved and you have the promise that God will eventually destroy your enemies and take care of you. May we pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are God and you're sovereign and you're on your throne and we need a good dose of remembering that. Thank you so much for your goodness to us, your grace to us. Thank you for your patience. You certainly put up with a lot when you put up with me and with many here. You give us time to grow and make adjustments and change and think and mature. I pray we would do that, Lord. And I pray as we see a world that is going in a way that's contrary to your word, we would just leave that to you and just work on our relationship with you. We want to pray for Israel tonight that you would continue to watch over her and protect her. We do pray that the leaders of our nation would support her and stand with her as her ally and friend. In Jesus' name, amen.